Hello, 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 and we are back with the Good Life with Dawn Richards podcast. I am Dawn Richards, your host, and so glad to be back with you. I pray you are well, and you know, I am so excited about continuing in our recent series that we kicked off with episode 52, Define Labels, and we're talking about how we are able to defy the labels that the world, that others, you know, people will put on us with the power of God and stand in the truth of who we really are, despite the labels. And so our mantra throughout this series is don't label me. And we kicked it off with episode 52. So if you haven't had a chance to listen, I do encourage you to go back get caught up with us, and then continue on this journey. You can still continue on this journey without having listened to that, but I think it'll give you some really um, good insight into how God frames women in his plan and just the importance that women have in the mind of God, in the heart of God, in the plan of God from the very beginning. And also you'll get to see how God defied the labels that were assigned to one lady in our series. We're doing... um, kind of, you know, an expose on several women in the Bible, not all the women in the Bible, of course, but a few that God highlighted to me that I think will definitely allow us to see the contrast between what people had to say about them and who they really were in all of their fullness, because all of us are more than what meets the eye. We're all multidimensional. We all have gifts and talents that are readily visible, readily um you know, observable, if you will. And then we have things that make us who we are under the cover, so to speak, or under the surface, so to speak. You know, there's what's above the surface, but the majority of who we are is what's underneath the surface for good or for bad. And I pray that we, as women of God, make sure that it's more of good and more of God and more of grace, especially as we mature in the things of God, as we grow in our walk with him. And as we lean into who he has said we are, who he has created us to be and called us to be, and we don't shrink back in the face of what others may say, who actually don't have our best interest at heart, but are more interested in diminishing the impact of women, um, you know, devaluing silencing, even restricting, in some cases, women, their impact, their voices, and who God has called and created them to be in his grand scheme of the world. And I have to tell you that it it couldn't have been more apropos watching the recent confirmation hearings, um, you know, some of the parts that I was able to watch personally this past week with Supreme Court Justice nominee, Judge Katanji Brown Jackson. And as a woman and as a black woman, especially the historic nature of her nomination with a Supreme Court that's over 230 years old, I think the Supreme Court is now 233 years old. And They're just getting around to having a black woman sit on the court. We've had two black male Supreme Court justices to date, Thurgood Marshall being the first and now currently still Clarence Thomas. And now we're finally up to bat with a black woman and the controversy and the disrespect and the labels that have been ascribed to this 
supremely accomplished woman who is absolutely more than her resume, but her resume is so outstanding. And I do want to take a moment just to call out some of the things that make her so phenomenal. You know, she not only is now set to be the next Supreme Court Justice of the United States, but her path to getting there um, was not because she had big, dark money behind her. It was not because, you know, she had some mantle of of special favors or connections. She's absolutely not in the inner circle as a black woman, so to speak. But she comes from a family of servants. She watched her father become a lawyer and work hard um, to serve his community. She comes from a family of public servants. She herself was was exceptional from grade school all the way up, ending up at Harvard, um, being magna cum laude, editor of the Harvard Law Review. I mean, exceptional you know, serving in private practice as an attorney, then deciding I'm going to lay down the money. I'm going to lay down that prestige. And I'm going to go become a public defender because I want to understand the fullness of the law. Exceptional. She eventually becomes a judge. She's currently an appellate court judge and she's clerked for Supreme Court justice. She's clerked her way all the way through all the rankings of um, the federal courts. And so she, when you, they've done, you know, side-by-side -side analysis of her credentials and, and existing, in the existing Supreme Court justices, and by far she exceeds them all, which is not surprising because typically we in the Black community especially understand that so many times you have to be twice as good as your counterpart just to get a seat at the table. It's not fair, but it unfortunately is still an ugly reality in many parts and sectors of our society. And so I say that to say, if there ever was a woman who has defied labels, if there ever was a woman who still today with all of what she's accomplished has people still attempting to discredit her, to undervalue her, to, you know, silos her to narratives that are not true first and foremost. She's not soft on crime. She's not, you know, some, you know, uh, anarchist. I mean, she has people in her family who are law enforcement professionals. And so to watch that in real time, I couldn't help but think about, you know, the fact that this is still very much a relevant message. This is still much needed. We still have to hear these messages. We still have to tear down these strongholds that it's okay to label people and in particular to label women because we're so much more than that. And I refuse to be labeled. I hope you refuse to be labeled. I hope you lean into your God greatness and you continue to allow you and God together to defy any and every label that is not of him and does not fit who you really are. So with that being said, we're going to jump back into our series. We're now on episode 53. Hallelujah. And this is part two um, of our Defying Label series. And today's woman of the Bible woman of the word that we're highlighting is a woman by the name of Rahab. Rahab comes to us from the Old Testament. And if you have your Bibles near and handy, go ahead and grab them and turn to Joshua chapter two. We're going to highlight Rahab today in our remaining time together. And I think you're going to be extremely blessed to see how the negative prominent label that was on her life was totally defied and overturned and how she was essential in, in seeing that happen. 
Um, you know, just because somebody calls you something doesn't mean you have to answer to it. And even if it fits in the beginning, it doesn't mean it has to fit your whole life. We're allowed to evolve. We're allowed to grow. I, instead of saying evolve, because I know evolution is I don't believe in evolution. Let's just be clear. I believe in the Bible and the God of creation. But evolution in the sense of you're growing, you're changing, you're continually becoming who you are destined to ultimately be. But I'll use this word from the New Testament transforming or metamorphosizing. I don't know if that's an actual verb, but the metamorphosis that the word of God talks about in Romans chapter 12, verses one and two, is that process of actually transforming from the inside out, from that caterpillar to that beautiful, vibrant butterfly. And God tells us it's done through his word. We renew our minds and that's where the change takes place. True change starts in our minds. And so I'd rather use that phrase transformation or metamorphosis. Um, but we, we, we do that throughout our lives. You know, even if you get married to someone, it's, un, it's unrealistic to think the person that you married one year ago, five years ago, 10 years ago, is the same person today. People are allowed to grow. People are allowed to change for the better, prayerfully. People are allowed to change their minds from, you know, having one conviction to another conviction. Once again, prayerfully on the Godward trend and not towards the world. But ultimately, we're all creatures of metamorphosis. And so I want to encourage you today that if you have a label, if you've had labels that maybe were negative or restricting or put you in an unfavorable light in any area of your life, that you are not stuck. You are not what they said. People used to say, we talked about that in the last episode, about Elizabeth, who we highlighted. They, they basically boiled her down to two labels, old and barren. God tore those out and through the power of his word, he exposed who she was so much more. She was so much more than that. And we saw the fullness of her in all of her glory. So now we're jumping in with Rahab in Joshua 2, and we're going to kick it off. And, you know, you've got to be bad to the bone when God dedicates pretty much an entire chapter of the Bible to you and your fabulousness and how you turn labels on their head. And then how you not only cause those those things that you've done to turn those labels on their head to impact your life for the better, but it also has far reaching impact into the lives of those that are closest to you and that you love. And we're going to see all of that in the story of Rahab. So let's jump in right here. I'm reading from the New Living Translation and just to set the scene, because we're not going to read it all the way through. But just to give some high points, starting at the very beginning, we see here that God has the children of Israel and Joshua as their new leader, as Moses has recently died, giving them a battle plan to take on their first territory in the promised land, which is the city of Jericho. And so he's giving Joshua the battle plan. Joshua is wanting to scope the land out. You know, he's wanting to get a, a feel of, you know, his competition, so to speak, the enemies that he's going to be taking down. And so he decides to send some spies over to Jericho to just check it out, survey the land, tell us what it's all about, what we need to kind of be mindful of when we go into attack. And so in verse one, it says Joshua secretly sent out two spies from the Israelite camp at Acacia. He instructed them spy out the land on the other side of the Jordan River, especially around Jericho. So the two men set out and came to the house of a prostitute named Rahab, 
and stayed there that night. Okay, so let's just back right up. So the two men set out and came to the house of a prostitute label named Rahab. So all she was known for, all that she was identified by was the fact that she was a prostitute or a harlot. So let's just say label. That's the label that she was given. But we're going to see how that label is defied and overturned and how she is so much more than that. So let's keep going. So basically, someone gets wind that these spies are in their land and their reputation precedes them. The reputation of the children of Israel precedes them. So it gets the king's attention. And so in verse two, it says but someone told the king of Jericho, some Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So verse three, the king of Jericho sent orders to Rahab. Now, let's just think about this. Can you imagine the king, the king sending orders to you? That's like the president of the United States knowing what's going on in your little house and sending the Secret Service to tell you, hey, you better break that up or else. That's how serious it was. And that's how afraid they were, the children of Israel. So they literally send someone from the king's you know, chambers to tell her, um, bring out the men who have come into your house. They are spies sent here to discover the best way to attack us. So now Rahab is at, you know, she's at a, a decision point. She's at a, a crossroads. You know, she's at a fork in the road, if you will. And she's got to make some decisions and she's got to make them fast. Because her very life is on the line, really, in either way you look at it. I mean, she's got the king of Jericho breathing down her neck. And then she's got these two spies who know where she lives, you know, can easily come back and find her when they attack the city. And so she's got to make some quick, hard, fast decisions. And let's watch her work. So Rahab, who had hidden the two men, replied to the people that came from the king. She made her decision in that moment. She made the decision to, to, to side with the people of God. She made an assessment based on what she knew about the God of the Israelites, how he delivered, how he totally took them from dire circumstances and delivered them from a hopeless situation. She assessed all of that. And she decided based on God's reputation that I don't want to get tangled up and get in crosshairs with God and his people. That would not be in my best interest, even though the king is telling me I need to do something else. I'm going with God. I'm going with the God of the Israelites, the real God, the living God. And so she decides in that moment. And what does she do? She fakes them out. She tells them, hey, the men that were here earlier, I don't know where they are. I don't even know where they were from. She knew it. So she was kind of telling a little lie. But, hey, in this instance, it was okay because <laughs> she was working with the plan of God. And she says, I don't know where they were from. They've gone. They've already left the city as the city gates were about to close. And I don't even know where they went. Now, now, mind you, she was hiding them in her home, but she's telling the people that have come to her from the king all of this to get them off their trail. And she says, if you hurry up, you can probably catch up with them. I mean, I get so tickled reading about her because she was a bold, bad woman. You hear me? So she kind of, you know, gets them off the spies trails. 
and she'd already taken them up to the roof and hidden them beneath piles of flax. So once the king's men left and kind of, you know, took her advice, her false advice, and started looking for the spies along the road, um, she was able to go back up and kind of, you know, have a meeting with them. And this is where we really see her begin to get really savvy. So before the spies went to sleep, verse eight that night, Rahab went up on the roof to talk with them. And she said to them, hey, this is why and see, this is why she was able to make that decision when she made it. She says, listen, I know the Lord has given this land to you. She says, I'm we're all afraid of you. I mean, and obviously they had to be for the king to have sent somebody to her house because of these spies. They were afraid. And see, people should be afraid of God and his people because God is not to be played with. Why? Because he doesn't play about his people. And so she knew that. Thankfully, she was wise enough to know. Hey, we've heard how the Lord made a dry path for you through the Red Sea when you left Egypt. And we know what you've already done to Sihon and Og, the two Amorite kings east of the Jordan River, whose people you completely destroyed. No wonder our hearts have melted in fear. No one has the courage to fight after hearing such things. For the Lord your God is the supreme God of the heavens above and the earth below. And then this is where she starts to get strategic even further. She says, so now I want you to swear to me by the Lord that you will be kind to me and my family since I have helped you. She says, oh, hold up, hold up. You're not going to get out of here free and easy. I put my life on the line for you just now. I betrayed my people. But this is what you're going to have to do for me in return, because I already know God is going to give you this land when you come back to take it. I want to make sure that me and my family are saved and protected. So she enters into negotiations with them. She she starts to negotiate an escape for her and her family. And she says, I want you to also give me some guarantee that when it's conquered, you will let me live. She's like, lip service is okay, but I want a guarantee. You see how you see how amazing she was? I mean, the woman was a strategist at the highest levels. NATO could use her right about now. Um, She says, I want a guarantee that when Jericho is conquered, you will let me live along with my father and mother, my brothers and sisters and all of their families. So when I tell you she was reaching big, she was asking big, she was demanding big because she'd just done a big thing in helping them secure their battle strategy and save the lives of those two spies. So she put it all on the table. She says, this is what I expect in return for what I've just done to help you. And they said in return, verse 14, we offer our own lives as a guarantee for your safety. See, she just procured their favor and their loyalty. She just sewn up, you know, their allyship because she just proven that she could be trusted. And so they said, we'll put our own lives on the line for you. And they agreed to all her terms. And they said, if you won't betray us, we will keep our promise when the Lord gives us the land. Then, since Rahab's house was built into the city wall, she let them down by a rope. This is verse, I think this is verse 15. Yes, she let them down by a rope through the window. And she told them what to do. She kept advising them. She told them to go ahead and escape to the hill country Hide there for three days until the men who search for you have returned and then go on your way. So, I mean, she was a 
she was a war strategist. We see here she was a negotiator. She was a family redeemer because she was securing the safety and the preservation, not only for her life, her own life, but for that of her family. So she's much more than a prostitute, as we're seeing here. Right. And so they followed her advice and they were able to safely escape. But before they did, they said, now, listen, we can guarantee your safety only if you leave this scarlet rope hanging from the window and all your family members, your father, mother, brothers and all your relatives must be here inside the house. If they go out into the street, they will be killed and we can't be held to our oath. But we swear that no one inside this house where this scarlet rope is hanging from the window will be killed. Not a hand will be laid on them. If you betray us, however, we are not bound by this oath in any way. And she said, I accept your terms. And she sent them on their way, leaving the scarlet rope hanging from the window. And if you know anything about symbolism and how God works in the Bible, we can firmly presume and rest in the fact that that scarlet rope was indeed representative of the blood of Jesus. The red represented the blood and what God was saying well in advance is that and just as he'd done in the Passover when he was delivering them from Egypt is when they see the blood, when they see the scarlet rope, when they see the representation of that sacrifice of the Lamb of God, they will preserve their lives. They will be safe. They will be kept alive. They will be secure. Just like when the death angel came in in Egypt and wiped out every firstborn. It couldn't touch the houses of the children of Israel because they had already applied the blood to the doorpost, which was symbolic of the blood of Jesus that we now apply to our lives, that has been applied to our lives, and that we continue to apply in faith day to day, I pray. I plead and apply the blood of Jesus over my life and over all of my family members' lives, just like Rahab did in this scenario, every day. And I've been doing it ever since I've been born again. And that's been some 28 plus years. I don't give it up. I make much of the blood and the blood makes much of me. Rahab made much of the blood. That scarlet rope and that made much of her. She partnered with God. She chose God. She chose she chose the Lord's side when it was hard. You know, it's not going to always be easy. To do the right thing. It's not always easy to say I stand with God. But it's always worth it in the end to choose the God way, the right way, the faith way, the integrity way, the peace way, the love way. And that's who we have to be as people of God. And we see God come through for us again and again. And so now we can go over to chapter six and see how this all ends up playing out. So in chapter six, we're going to pick up in verse 17. And it says there, because once again, they spied out the land in the meantime. They've gone back and given Joshua the report. And then in verse six, God, in chapter six, God gives Joshua the battle plan because because they were so afraid. She'd already told them. She exposed them. She says, hey, everybody here is afraid of you guys. We've heard how you've destroyed other countries, other people, other kings. And we're afraid. We don't we can't even. Hardly imagine fighting against you. That's why the king was so paranoid when the spies came 
And so you know what they had done? They had shut up the city so that no one could get in. But how many of you know when God wants to get in, he'll get in? The Bible tells us in Revelation, he opens doors that no man can shut. And he shuts doors that no man can open. And even if you do shut it or open it, he knows how to knock it down, build another. He's not limited. With God, all things are possible. We learned that in the last episode. With God, nothing shall be impossible. When God says, I've given you the land, he's given you the land. Glory be to God. So he gives them a battle strategy that has nothing to do with what they've done to protect the city. It matters not. God's battle strategy is far superior. So he tells them, you're going to march around this city six days. And you're not going to say one word. You're not going to announce yourselves. You're not going to barter threats. You're simply going to march around the city. And on the seventh day, you're going to shout. And I will give you the land. Now, you know, it takes faith to obey God. It takes faith to believe that you mean, Lord, I don't have to shoot off any cannons. I don't have to draw my bow and arrow. They didn't have guns back then. But all I have to do is just march around in, in silence. Six days. You see, that boggles the natural mind because the Bible tells us in Isaiah 55 that God's thoughts are not our thoughts and his ways are not our ways. So don't ever try to reason with why, how God does something makes sense or doesn't. Just do it. And I'm talking to myself as well, because we get into the reasoning zone and we miss the supernatural that God is destined. It doesn't make sense to the natural mind that you can take a whole city simply by marching around it for six days in silence. And on the seventh day, all you're going to do is let out a shout. And all the walls are going to come crumbling down and you're going to take that city. But yet that's what happened. That was the divine battle plan. Joshua led the children of Israel. They obeyed the Lord and it worked in their favor. So we get over here to verse 17. They've done that. And the Bible tells us in verse 17, the city and everything in it must be completely destroyed as an offering to the Lord. So God wasn't coming to play games. He wasn't coming to give them a nice pat on the butt. No, he says everything is going to be destroyed except here we go. Rahab, the prostitute and the others in her house, they will be spared because she protected our spies. So see, God never forgets his promises. He's not a promise breaker. He's a promise keeper. When he promises us something, he makes good on his promises. He promised essentially through his through his people, through those spies, that he would preserve the life of Rahab and her family. And he made good on that promise. And so we see that in verse 17. And then if we go all the way over here to verse 22, let's pick back up there. It says, then Joshua said to the two spies, keep your promise. Go to the prostitute's house and bring her out along with all her family. The young men, verse 23, went in and brought out Rahab, her father, her mother, her brothers, and all the other relatives who were with her. And they moved her whole family to a safe place near the camp of Israel. Verse 25. So Joshua spared Rahab, the prostitute, and her relatives who were with 
her in the house because she had hidden the spies. Joshua was sent to Jericho and she lives among the Israelites to this day. Now, how does she live among the Israelites to this day? Obviously, first of all, she's got this amazing tribute and memorial to her in the Torah. But her lineage became a part of the lineage of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because essentially what happened is that once her family was spared by the children of Israel, they became integrated into the Israelite family, the Israelite community, Israelite society. They were no longer a part of this nation that had been destroyed. There was nothing left of that. And she ends up by the blessing of the Lord marrying. She ends up marrying Solomon. And Solomon, as we learn, was the father of Boaz. And then Boaz was the father of Obed. Obed was the father of Jesse, and Jesse was the father of King David. So we see that not only did she spare her natural family as a family, she was actually a family redeemer. Throughout the scripture, we see that phrase family redeemer, especially in the Old Testament, is kind of alluding to Jesus as our ultimate redeemer in the New Covenant. But we see that ascribed to men. Men were the family redeemers. It was a patriarchal society. As we pretty much still live in a lot of places in the earth today. But she was really a family redeemer. She saved her whole family. She redeemed her whole family. Her bravery, her courage, her strategy, her strategist, you know, savvy, her strategic savvy, her negotiation skills, her, you know, quick thinking, thinking on her feet. Her commitment to, to do what was right and, and go with God, you know, even when that meant betraying her own people that were wicked in the sight of God. All of that put her in a place to ultimately marry a man who was in the lineage of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so she lives among the Israelites till this day because we know that the Lord Jesus comes under the lineage of King David through the tribe of Judah. There are 12 tribes of Israel and the tribe of Judah is the tribe through which Jesus's lineage runs through and that's David's tribe. And so she procured immediate safety, preservation for her family lineage, but she went on to procure eternal esteem for her family. God rewarded her by giving her one of his top men as her husband. So the label of prostitute was defied. And so let's just take a look ultimately at what some of the actual, you know, um, appropriate descriptions of her life really were. The label was prostitute. Don't label me. The actual was brave, protector, negotiator, royal lineage, strategist, family redeemer. Can you see? Can you see how she was so much more than what they had labeled her? 
than what people perceived of her. But you know who knew? God knew. Because God could have had those spies land on anybody's doorstep. They didn't know they were going to this woman who would ultimately be their supreme ally and strategist on the inside. So you always have an inside connect, right? (laughs) You know, we always have inside connects. And then we have our main camp. She was the inside connect for the children of Israel to take that land. And they could have happened upon anybody's doorstep. But God made it where they landed in her home. Because he already knew what she was made of. He already knew what he had put in her. And that she would stand up and do the right thing when the heat was on. Even when the king himself came and said, wait a minute, wait a minute. (laughs) She was brave. She was a protector. She kept her family at the forefront of her mind. She wasn't just about herself. It wasn't just about me, me, me. Okay, you can get me out of this mess. Great. No, she says, you're going to help me and you're going to help my mother, my father, my brothers, my sisters, and all my relatives. Deal? And they said, deal. She put it all on the table and then she allowed them to say what they had to say. And she thought about it. She says, okay, I accept your terms. I'm going to put this scarlet rope in the window. And you see the beautiful plan and tapestry of God working to redeem his people and to set them up for the ultimate redemption through the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to be encouraged that you are necessary in the plan of God, woman of God. Women have always been essential and critical to what God is doing in the earth and we always will be. As I said in my last episode, we were never an afterthought to God. Women are not an afterthought. We are a necessary thought. From the very beginning. And we always will be. So if anyone tries to diminish you, devalue devalue you, limit you, restrict you, silence you, you resist it, you reject it, and you stand in the greatness of who God has created you to be. God knew she had it in her all along. That's why he was willing to put everything on the line and work with her. He knows you've got in you everything he's put in you and that you'll stand up and you'll continue to live your life in power and greatness and blessing to yourself and to those that you love and to your community and and the generation that you've been called to serve. Stand in your greatness, woman of God. Embrace the fullness of who you are. You don't have to shrink back. You take up space in the kingdom, in this world. And I'm so thankful that you've been here with me today. We're going to end this episode and we'll pick back up with part three and look at another woman of God the next time. But I I pray this has blessed you. As always, I thank you for listening. I ask that you're liberal with the podcast. Share it, download it, um, you know. Share with me things you've taken from it. And until we're together again, always continue to live the good life abundantly in Christ Jesus and live intentionally. God bless you.